Welcome to the study of God's Word, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, let's open our Bibles and study God's Word. Yeah, thank you for having me uh, tonight. Pastor Ed um, invited me to come up here, so I'm excited to be with you. Uh, if you guys will bow your heads with me, I'd like to, to just say a quick prayer. So, uh, Father, we love you. We thank you for this evening. And I just pray, uh, Lord, that you would organize my thoughts and organize my words. And pray uh, that this would be holy ground. And Holy Spirit, we welcome your presence and your moving here. We need your help. We pray that you would make the word come alive, that it would be active, and that it would pierce us. Oh Lord, we pray that you would speak to us this evening. In Jesus, we love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right. Thank you. Uh, like I said, Pastor Ed uh, and I have been friends for uh, a few years when we were planting our first church uh, up here. Um, we were on staff at a Korean church. And I'd met Pastor Ed, and he uh, was a great encouragement to us, and we've just kept up uh, our friendship over the years. Um, I know that Pastor Ed's been teaching through the book of Second Kings, uh, but he gave me a little bit of freedom to just kind of pray and see, you know, what the Lord would maybe put on my heart. And uh, I felt like the Lord impressed uh, actually a chapter out of Isaiah on my heart. So if you have a Bible tonight, if you would open up to Isaiah chapter 6. If you don't have one, there's some up here on the stage. There are also some uh, in your seat backs. And so just put your your thumb in there. Um, And what we're going to talk about is how the Lord uh, reawakens um, a heart for ministry. And he gives Isaiah a call to ministry to go to a nation and to speak to them. And the the call that the Lord is going to give Isaiah uh, is significantly difficult. Um, The people of God have walked with the Lord for a long time, but they've started to forget the promises of God. And as they've started to stray a little bit away from the Lord and then more and more and more, uh, they find themselves in a really unhealthy place, in a really anemic place spiritually. Um, Everybody's just kind of uh, doing their thing. And so uh, they've had a really strong king. His name is King Uzziah. And King Uzziah uh, took over the throne when he was 16, and he reigned for 52 years. And he did really, really well. Um, He was a strong king. He was a great uh, administrator. He was a good general. He was great with organization. And so the fame of Uzziah grew. And it says in 2 Chronicles, he was known even in Egypt. Uh, He was kind of like a household name. And so people knew who Uzziah was, and he did well. But the problem was, Isaiah started reading his own press. Or not Isaiah, sorry, Uzziah (laughs) started reading his own press. And he started to think, you know what? Yeah, I'm doing pretty well. Uh, I'm doing really good. And so, um, you know. The, the nation's lucky to have me. And so as he went along, he was tempted to take more and more glory and more and more power away from the Lord. And he focused on himself. And what ended up happening was he even went into the temple and he took the place of the priests and tried to approach the altar. And the Lord struck him with leprosy. And the Lord said, no, uh, you forget who you are. You forget who made you king. 
And so it's kind of a sad story, but Uzziah ends up living out the end of his days with leprosy, and he's a shut-in. And so as he's living at home and he's doing this, the nation is pushing farther and farther away from the Lord. And finally, one morning, the news comes out that Uzziah died. He passed away. And so what happens is the nation is in a place of incredible turmoil. Uh, People are afraid. They don't know what's going on. You know, he's reigned for over five decades. He's been kind of the steady hand uh, in the kingdom. And so especially as they've moved a little bit farther away from the Lord and they're not so much looking to God, the king became a really big deal to their nation. He became the one that they looked to, that they put a lot of their trust into. And so I think it's really interesting to draw, you know, some parallels to what happened in Israel and to our modern culture today. You know, the Lord is on the throne. The Lord is reigning. But our nation lately has been hitting some political turmoil. We've been hitting turmoil with our culture and the, the church has kind of stepped forward in some ways. In other places, they've backed off. They haven't really been too sure. You know, how do we interact? What are we going to do here? And so in some ways, the church is doing well. In other ways, the church is not doing so well. And as we look to our nation, our nation has a lot of its eyes on events, current events, political leaders, different things that are happening. And sometimes it can be easy as the church to start to forget Who's really in charge? What's our call? What is our place in this nation? What is our place in this society? Why has God placed us here? So if you're taking notes tonight, I want you to just write down a thought real quick. And it might sound cliche, but I just want you to think about it. And so what I want you to ask yourself is, why am I following Jesus? And what's the point of following Jesus? What's the goal? What am I, what am I um, following him for? And I want you to think about that. And now the obvious, you know, the Sunday school answer tends to be, well, he's, he's God and we love him and whatever, but and he is. But what I want you to ask yourself is, why am I here? Why are you at this church tonight? Why are you in this room? Why have you committed your life to Jesus? And so, I've been asking myself this a lot lately, too. My wife and I are planting a church in Colorado Springs, and a lot of the people that we are meeting have absolutely no background in the church. It's fantastic. We love it. You know, everyone that's coming, for the most part, uh, has no background with the church. They don't really know who Jesus is. The first week, I asked somebody, you know, what do you know about the church? And they said, I saw a baptism on TV once. It's like, okay, well, good. You know, we'll, we'll get to that. We'll get there. But it's, everything is fresh for them, and it's exciting. And they're asking good questions, and they're asking me, what is the point of the church? What's the role? Why are you trying to, to get me to follow Jesus? Why are you trying to get me to become a part of the church? What should I be doing with this? And obviously, a lot of these guys, uh, they're college age, career age. They're making pivotal decisions in their life. And as they make pivotal decisions, they have to decide which way is this going to take the course of my life. And God asks us that over and over and over and over again. You know, we'll be asked by the Lord, will you follow me? 
And we'll be asked by the culture over and over and over and over again, why are you doing this? It doesn't necessarily always make sense, and it makes even less sense as the culture is moving away from Jesus. And so we need to have a good understanding of why we're here and what we're doing. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, it says, Only let your life be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The goal of living our life is to please Jesus. It's not to please the culture around us. One thing I love about the Calvary Chapel movement is Pastor Chuck reached out to people that were on the fringes. A lot of times people that were kind of throwaways within society. Pastor Chuck went to them. He sat with hippies. He sat with people that had abused drugs. He sat with people that were just a mess. And that wasn't a scary thing. And what was born out of that was a movement of people that came to know the Lord in a fresh way for the first time. And they understood and they had an answer for what Jesus could do for them. And what I love about Pastor Chuck was he wasn't afraid of the mess. And the method could vary depending on what people needed to come to the Lord. But he understood the method was not sacred. The message of Jesus Christ is what's sacred. And so today, as we pray for awakening in our country, we pray that the Lord would move on churches, that the Lord would bring a movement that many people would come to know him. A, a large portion of that starts here. And our temptation can be within the church to look at the kingdom in a way that we currently are instead of the way that God has set it up. Sometimes we try to interpret what's going on from a position of where we're standing versus what the Lord wants. A good example is we were going through, um, you know, a conversation with a student who was considering coming to the Lord, and he was asking a lot of good questions, you know, and he goes, well, uh, in the particular churches that he had seen, he goes, why do you have to wear a suit? It's like, well, I mean, you know, some people do, some people don't. It's okay. You know, that's not, that's not the main point. But one of the questions that he was, kept coming back to was, um, you know, I feel like they don't really know God. He goes, I feel like they just kind of show up. They punch the clock. They just kind of do their thing. And he goes, I feel like in some cases, some people that I've met that claim to be believers are in more bondage than I am. Why would I exchange my bondage for their bondage? And that was a fair question. That was a really good question because it's not about religion. It's about relationship. And the temptation sometimes within the church is we can fall into religion because we think that it offers us a place to belong. We think that it offers us a way to Jesus. And relationship already does that. So if you guys are with me in Isaiah... We'll start in verse 1. So it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and a train of his robe filled the temple. And above him stood seraphim, as are angels, and each had six wings, and with two they covered their face, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And they called out to each other, and they said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. And it says that the foundations of the thresholds, so the doorposts, they were shaking at the voice of him who called. 
and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the middle of people who have unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the Lord, the King of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth, and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord calling out, Whom can I send, and who will go for us? And then I responded, Here am I. Send me. So what's going on is Isaiah, while he's in the midst of this turmoil and everything that's happening politically and religiously within their country, the Lord, as he's seeking him out, the Lord gives him a vision. And the Lord shows Isaiah this vision of being in God's presence, being at the throne of God. And there are angels going around, you know, and it says that the, the doorposts are shaking and Isaiah is afraid. You know, seraphim translates as burning one. And so you've got these angels that are on fire, you know, and the Lord, the Lord is a consuming fire, it tells us in the Bible. And so you've got all this fire going on and the doorposts are shaking back and forth and Isaiah is in there and he's looking around and the angels are calling out, you know, God is holy, God is holy, God is holy. And they're watching this, or Isaiah's watching this and that's, that's pretty scary, you know, for a guy when you suddenly have this epiphany, I don't belong here. God's presence is so powerful. It's so pure. It's so beautiful. And when you have a moment like that where the Lord enters the room, you know, and you feel the presence of the Lord come in, sometimes you feel like you can't get your nose deep enough in the carpet <laughs> because you understand, I'm not worthy. I shouldn't be here. But God is, is calling me. I don't understand. What, what are you doing, Lord? And what I love about this is when God is calling him, he's giving him an invitation of faith. Not necessarily just to salvation, but to, of calling, to step out. And whenever we have an invitation of faith, it's always an invitation of clarity. When God calls you to take a step of faith, God's calling you to clarity in your life. You start looking around and you realize... This is going to take some risk. This is going to stretch me. <laughs> I'm a little bit out of my, my comfort zone. You know, and Isaiah recognizes. He says, I'm undone. Literally, like, undone, it means I'm untied. I'm unwound. I'm unwrapped. I'm, I'm nothing before the Lord. And God is calling to him. And what God is really calling Isaiah to is to him and to his heart. And sometimes we don't recognize calls of faith as calls to God's heart, calls to interact with God and the things that he's seeing and what he's doing. And we can't love God very well without loving the things that he loves. And even though the nation was totally backslidden and really messed up, God still loved them. God was still giving an invitation to somebody to lay down his life and go to these people who are beyond messy, way confused, and had, in some cases, really odd ideas about who they thought God may or may not be. That reflects our culture a lot of the time right now. And sometimes 
I'm afraid of how we respond to this. If you notice, it says that Isaiah was, he was standing and he's watching and the doorposts are shaking. And to me, that speaks to Isaiah. He's not really necessarily in the room. <laughs> he's standing by the doorpost, right? He's standing in the door, looking in, kind of seeing what in the world is going on. And sometimes I think the church has a similar outlook on how we're going to interact with people that are messy, with people that are on the outside, with people don't, that don't really know. And so when the Lord calls us, we have to decide, you know, what am I going to do with this? And large portions of us, and I say us because I'm not calling anybody out, I'm just saying us as believers, have developed a comfortability with mediocrity that should terrify us. We don't necessarily remember who it is that we're serving. What it means when it says that God is holy, that God has a heart for people that are on the outside. Nobody escapes God's view. The Bible teaches us that we're all naked before God. God sees everyone. He sees people in the church. He sees people outside of the church. And God's heart and God's desire is to be reconciled, to have everyone reconciled to him, to have relationship with them. And sometimes I'm afraid that we take more of a corporate model of church and we kind of take more of a, an industry model of the church instead of a ministry model. And maybe we've lost our way a little bit and we need to come back to this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, you know, Paul talks about this a little bit and he talks about how to reach the culture and he says, you know, um, we need God's help. Clever words just aren't going to do it. Paul was very aware that the gospel can be preached in such a way as to suck the power out of it. It was spoken in a way that was powerless. Preaching a high standard is not preaching the gospel. Preaching the universal brotherhood of mankind is not preaching the gospel. Giving people a bridge and a path to Jesus Christ, that's the gospel. And that's the calling that the Lord is calling Isaiah to speak the word, to go out. And sometimes we just forget that God is not a system. He's a person. He has a very real heart for the people on the outside. If you're taking notes, um, the first point is God can't heal what he can't touch. And so a lot of times, you know, the Holy Spirit is coming and he's moving on conviction in the church. And when the Holy Spirit moves in power and he moves in conviction, uh, often it's uncomfortable, right? Because you're all too aware of where you are. Isaiah was very aware that he should not be in the room. Not only that, I'm pretty glad nobody else in my nation's in the room either because they all have unclean lips too. And so, but the Lord is... is drawing him, and sometimes we just don't want to hear it. And sometimes when the Lord moves in conviction, we try to get in and we try to soften the blow. And God says something, and we say, well, what, what God means is, and then we tell them why it's okay that they're not moving away from their sin. Or we tell them why it's okay that they're not experiencing the presence of the Lord. And we start to get ourselves in the way, and when we do that, we position ourselves as resistors 
of God's plan. And it may be unintentional, but we do it. So when the Lord sends conviction, the Lord really wants to touch our ugliness. He wants to touch our sin. He wants to turn us from death. The Lord is not interested in behavior modification. So what if you know the right words, you know the vocabulary, you know how to dress, you know the right things to do when you come in and you know, you know, at this point in the service, this is going to happen and then this is going to happen and we figure out the system and we're like, okay, and we go and there's large portions of us that know the system, but we've forgotten why we're here. Why are we following Jesus? Why does God have a heart for the world? What does the Lord want? The author Leonard Ravenhill, he said, Jesus didn't come to make bad men do good things. Jesus came to make dead men live. That is the goal of Jesus. And sometimes we get caught up in these fantasies where we're safe and we can hide out in our church and we can kind of pretend, you know, somebody else is going to reach those guys. And as long as our posture within the church is that somebody else is going to do it, the mission will never get done. And the problem is, sympathy is not a substitute for the gospel. And so maybe we come to church and we feel bad and we're like, oh man, yeah, I feel conviction. I feel the Holy Spirit and I don't necessarily know what to do with it. And the Lord says, look, go. He's calling us to clarity. He's giving us an opportunity for faith. And sometimes fantasies can take over of what we think is going on. And fantasies are a deadly substitute for reality because they're not real. It doesn't exist. And so in verse 1, you know, we see this, and when it says when Uzziah died, you know, that's, that's a big deal. I mean, that says a lot about the state of, of the country, but it also says that I saw the Lord sitting on the throne. And that was comforting to Isaiah because no matter what you're going through tonight, if you're having tragedy, you know, maybe you're just disgruntled, maybe you just feel numb inside. It's been a long time since you felt the Lord move in your life, since you felt his presence, just know that the throne in heaven is still occupied. God has not surrendered his power to the enemy or to mankind in any way. The Lord still has a plan and the Lord is still moving. And so we look at this and we see in verse 2, you know, it says, Isaiah's <clears throat> saying the angels are standing above him and they're on fire and they're all around him, you know, and they're covering up their faces because even though angels, these angels don't have sin, they're still not worthy to look upon God. These angels have not had the experience of the sin nature. They're just servants of God, but they can't even look at God because God is too beautiful. He's too powerful. He's too great. And so the angels are around him and they're calling out to the Lord and Isaiah's watching what's going on here and he's got, you know, the burning ones and they're even covering themselves. And in verse three it says, and they're calling to each other. It doesn't say they're calling Isaiah. They're not calling to God. They're calling to each other. God is holy. They're compelled. They're cons <laughs> they have to worship God. This is the one job that the seraphim have, is to worship God because he's worthy. And so they're standing around, they're worshiping God. And we watch this and we're seeing what's going on. And Isaiah, you know, he's listening to this. And you have to wonder, 
what he's thinking. And in Hebrew, they're not saying holy, holy, holy just because they can't think of another word. When you repeat something in Hebrew, it's for intensity. It's intensity. So these angels just keep repeating it because they're never going to get to the end of the intensity of God of the greatness and the infinite of who God is. And so all they do all day for all eternity is they're just calling out, God is awesome. God is holy. God is pure. God is worthy. And you know what God's desire is? God's desire is to call Isaiah, to convict Isaiah, to bring Isaiah, a man, a feeble man, that doesn't have any place in this atmosphere And God calls to him and he says, you, I want you to come with me. God's convicting Isaiah and Isaiah, you know, he's he's watching this and he's seeing the doorposts and they're shaking and they're shaking at the angel's voice, the intensity of their worship and the atmosphere that they're in, the foundations, the building is shaking. And he's looking around, you know, and he's watching this and he's seeing everything that's going on. And as they're calling out and they're calling out, Isaiah can probably, he can feel this. He's not just listening. He's not just watching. He can feel the vibrations of what's going on in heaven. And it says that, that the room is filled with smoke. The cloud often follows God's presence. It's a Shekinah glory. The presence and the glory of God. And so Isaiah is standing in the middle of this and you got burning angels and everything's shaking and there's smoke and it's the presence of the Lord and Isaiah's taking all this in and all of a sudden he has this epiphany. I'm going to die. <laughs> this is not good. This is not a place where I should be standing. And so, you know, he's, he's here and he's, he's seeing everything. He's breathing in the smoke and all this is going on. And he starts to call out and he just says, woe is me. You know, like, I don't, I, I'm undone. I'm unclean. God, I'm unclean. I cannot be in your presence. And that's a trap today for a lot of us that we experience. So we're like, God, I'll come to you. But let me arrange some things and fix some things in my life. God, I want to come to you, but let me make things a little bit better. And you know what the problem is? God loves messy people because there aren't any other kind. And so God calls him in and he's like, you can't help yourself. I know that. And so Isaiah is realizing this. And if you are thinking about it, it's like his whole, his whole worldview is shattered. You know, like... Well, when I'm back in my society, most of them don't even believe in God. So I'm, an, you know, I'm doing all right. And so and then he's standing in front of the Lord and he's having this realization that like there's no difference. And I'll tell you something. I've been able to share the gospel with a lot of people in a lot of different places. With Satanists and people in the transgendered community and people that are Mormon, people all over the place. I've shared the gospel with. And I've had this this understanding, I guess, that what they're dealing with and the sin that I have had in my life is not very different. It's not like there are better kinds of sin, right? It's not like your sin brings you so much closer to God than somebody else's sin. It's got to go. It has to leave. And so when Isaiah is having this realization, the important thing is that he understands 
yeah, I'm a part of this. I need God's grace. I can't clean myself up. Otherwise, there would be no need for the mission of Jesus Christ. I need Jesus. I need God. I need him to move in my life. And you know what's cool is God lets Isaiah feel this. God knows Isaiah's scared. And God lets him feel it. And you look around and you think, well, you know, is that, is that a little mean? Lord, you know, should you tell him, like, everything's going to be all right? You know, and a lot of times we play that role in the church. And we're like, should we step in here? Is this too intense? The Lord's moving, but I don't know if I'm comfortable with this. But the Lord lets him feel it because Isaiah is starting to understand his need for God. He's starting to grasp his place in creation. And so Isaiah feels like he's, he's coming apart. And the interesting thing for Isaiah is that it revolves around his lips. The sin that he is so aware of is his communication. His style of communication. The things that he says. The thoughts that he thinks. The things that he's a part of within the culture. And so he's very aware of what's going on. And when he has his life next to the Lord, it doesn't look so great anymore. It looks pretty different, actually. And so what Isaiah is going to need to do is he's going to need to repent. If Isaiah makes excuses at this point for why his culture is like this, we just lost our king, things are hard with the economy like it is, you understand, Lord. Lord's like, no. I, Jesus can't heal excuses. What is he supposed to do with that? Jesus heals sin. That's why he went to the cross. If you're taking notes, the second point is the gospel does not need our empowerment. The gospel needs our surrender. Right? It's not like we're going to clean the gospel up and make it more relevant. We're going to sanitize it and make it more appealing for people. The gospel makes the church relevant. It's what gives us a family. It's what gives us adoption. It's what brings us into the kingdom and lets us experience the presence of the Lord. The gospel cleans us. We don't clean it. And so, we'll see in verse 6, if you'll follow with me. It says, So then one of the seraphim it flew to me, and he had in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs, from the altar. And so you imagine that this, this coal, whatever it is, has got to be really hot, right? Because the angels themselves are burning once. They're on fire, but they're not touching this coal. They're using tongs to take it to Isaiah. They're facilitating the ministry, and they're also watching the ministry of what the Lord is doing to Isaiah and what the Lord is, is about to do with him. And this coal is smoldering, and it's ablaze from being in the presence of God. And this coal that's ablaze from being in the presence of God is going to be touched to Isaiah's lips, and it's going to impart that fire to Isaiah. The zeal, the, the word, the power, the spirit of God, the unction of God, the heart of God for this nation that's so messed up. God's going to impart this to Isaiah. Isaiah's not worthy of this. 
And you know what? Neither is the church today. You're not worthy of having Jesus save you, but Jesus loves you. God finds you valuable. He wants you. And so as Isaiah is experiencing this, you know, it's really interesting because all of a sudden, he's having this encounter with, a minute ago, he wanted to leave the room. I can't be here. You can't know what I've done. And then God's not letting him back out of the room. Now he's in the room and the angel's coming to him and the angel's touching him. The Lord is pursuing him. And Isaiah is just taking it in and he's watching what's going on and the angel holds it there. And sometimes when God starts to move and starts to do things and we're praying that God will send revival and awakening in our country, sometimes God just holds his presence somewhere. He just, he makes us a little uncomfortable. We're convicted and God says, okay, you're convicted. Conviction is not forever. Conviction is to bring about a change, right? Condemnation is from the enemy. That comes after we repent. And so the Lord will convict the church and then he wants to cleanse the church and he wants to root sin out of the church. And it doesn't mean that people are perfect. It means, is your heart for my mission? Do we share the same heart? Do you want to be clean? Do you have a desire to be clean? Do you have a desire to be a host for my presence? And we want that for God to do in our culture. We want the Shekinah glory to fill this sanctuary, to fill this room, and to spill out. We want to see Aurora come to Jesus Christ. We want to see Colorado come to Jesus. We want to see our nation come to Jesus. But we've got to let the Lord have his way in our churches. And so sometimes, you know, we start to wonder, you know, I don't know if I like that mission. You know, I mean, the coals are blistering my lips. Kind of hurts, you know. I'm kind of freaked out. I'm aware that I don't belong here. And so I don't know, Lord, if I'm super comfortable with this. But at the same time, if he's going to be a servant of God, can he say no? Can he mix and match what the Lord wants for him? Can he take blessing and leave struggle? Can he take salvation, but he also wants to leave knowing the sufferings of Christ? Knowing the heart of God, the things that grieve the Lord that he sees in our cultures were laid naked before him. We have to take it all. We have to let the Lord impart a heart in us for the culture around us. And what's interesting is it doesn't even mention Isaiah reacting to the coal touching him. The part that disturbed him was being in the presence of the Lord. The part that disturbed him was recognizing my role is not that great. And that's the secret a lot of times to following the Lord is just knowing your role. He's God. I'm not. This is God's church. If God wants to take us in a different direction, then God can do it. That's up to him. I can't say no. I'm a servant of the Lord. And the same thing works today for Jesus and Jesus calling us. And what the Lord loves to do sometimes is put us in situations that make us uncomfortable and sometimes we just get angry. Sometimes we're offended, right? <laughs> we see somebody coming to church or we see things happening and someone's a new believer or whatever and we can take up offense or the Lord decides that he's going to move in this direction. Did anybody tell God we don't do that here? 
That's not our style. That's not what our denomination does. That's not, what, that's not how we do things, God. And you know what? God doesn't care about polling data. It doesn't matter. God does what he wants because he can, because he's right. Whenever he moves, he's right. And so what happens is God sometimes allows us to be offended because, like John Wimber used to say, it reveals our heart. Sometimes when our mind is offended, nasty things jump out of our heart, right? And God allows us to be offended so we can see what's in there, so God can deal with it, so God can clean us and convict us so that we can move forward. If you're taking notes, the final point is we are not called because we're great. We're called because God is great. We're not called to serve Jesus because we're awesome. You're not. We're not that awesome. Some of us are more attractive than others. My wife's way more attractive than I am. But some of us, you know, we start to think like, hey, uh, you know, I've, God's getting a pretty good deal out of this. I mean, I'm showing up. Nobody else in the nation's willing to go. I'll go. You know, take me. And so we start to think like, man, I'm doing God a favor. This is good. And God says, no, you're nobody. I don't need you, but I want you. And there's a strong difference there to understand the Lord doesn't need you. He wants you and he loves you, but the will of God will go forward. The will of God for this church will go forward. The will of God for our country will go forward. And God wants to use us, even though we're not worthy, even though we don't belong in the room, and sometimes we screw up and we say the wrong things, and the Lord says, no, I want to use you. I want you. Come with me. Let's do this. And so we see that the purpose of the church, the purpose of what God is about to do with Isaiah was that he would gather into the Lord's presence so that he could scatter into the culture. God doesn't show you something or give you revelation or speak to you or convict you or clean you so that you can hide. We can't hoard our hope, right? We can't take this hope and thanks for salvation, Jesus. I'm just going to take it to my house and lock the door and stay away from the messy people and hope that I make it to the end. That is not God's plan for the church. God's plan is to clean the church and fill the church with the power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God, the same Spirit that the Bible tells us made Jesus alive again. He was dead, and the Spirit of God made him alive. That is the power that the Holy Spirit wants to fill the church with. He wants us to move with his heart in alignment with him. So look at verse 8 with me. So it goes on, and it, and it says, and Isaiah's here, everything's going on, he's, he's been cleansed, God took his sin away, and God's calling him, and in verse 8 it says, and I heard the voice of the Lord saying, who will I send? Who's going to go for me? Who's going to tell these people? And Isaiah listens to this, and it doesn't say how long it was, it looks like it's just immediate. When Isaiah is experiencing this, he wants the other people in his culture to experience this. He says, hey, send me. I'm right here. Here am I. Send me. And Isaiah is filled with the zeal of the Lord. And you know what? The people that he was embarrassed of just a minute ago because their lips were dirty and his lips are dirty, 
when the Lord touched him, he had a heart for those people. Everything shifts. His perception of reality was replaced with reality. His perception of who he thought these people in the culture were is replaced with God's heart for knowing who they are and wanting them. God wants the throwaways. God wants the outcasts. God wants the people on the fringe. So he has a heart for this. And it says that God is just looking for a messenger. God doesn't create these burning angels, these seraphim, and send them into the culture to do this. God wants his presence to rest on you, on us. And then when the presence and the glory of the Lord rests on his church, he wants us to do something about it, right? He wants us to go to these people. Like we can be ashamed of people who struggle with sin when we've had our own sin, when we walk the same road from death to life. People are hostages of the enemy, and they need your message. America is not a Christian nation. We are a nation in great need, and we are moving every day further and further away from being a Christian nation. And you know what? We can pass legislation that will compel people in their bodies or in how they live their life, but it doesn't mean it changes their heart. God is not looking for more laws. God is not looking for more books. God does not need one more bumper sticker or cheesy t-shirt. God does not need something like that. God wants you. God's calling you to go out and to reach this nation because unless somebody's heart changes, unless they understand the need that they have for Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter how well they behave or what good citizens they may be in our culture, they are going to hell. And that is a scary thing when a church can sit and watch that because you know what that makes the church? Complicit allowing it to happen. And I don't want to be unnecessarily hard. I just want you to understand when it comes to people's souls, it's not a game. We don't get together and play pretend when we come to church. We don't pray into the air. We don't sing praises into the air. There is a God who sits on a throne in heaven who has saved us with the blood of his son that was slaughtered and tortured for us. And he longs to put his spirit to give us his heart within the church. And it is scary sometimes. And you know what? Sometimes it doesn't get better. It just stays scary. And we have to make a decision. Are we going to do it anyway? What are we going to do with this message? And so you watch God is pleading over the souls of millions, today billions of people that don't know him. Can you feel the agony of the heart of a father who's lost not one child, not two children, but billions? Do you know that kind of pain? And God is perfect, right? So he feels every emotion in perfection. So when God feels agony and pain, God's feeling agony and pain. He feels at a level that we won't know. 
but he's inviting us in because when God knows that we can have victory and God knows that there's hope, God knows that there's hope beyond anything that we know. And sometimes we don't give God credit because God is not as weak as some of our prayers seem to think he is. And God is much stronger than what we know. Amen? Okay. So God needs somebody to run his errand, and God has this question. What position are you going to occupy towards me? What is the position that you have? We say, I like Jesus. He saved me. I'll follow Jesus. But do we understand what that means? Do we understand that that is a call to death? And so we're watching what's going on here, and Isaiah He's willing to go, but he doesn't want to go unless he's sent. Yeah, I'll go. Okay, I'll go. Don't send me without you. Just like Moses, don't let me go without your presence. And notice that it's not, the emphasis is not on send me. The emphasis is on send me. God, fill me. Send me. Empower me. Let me move in your authority. God, let me take up your heart for the orphans in our generation, for the orphans in this country, that they would know that they have a father. And sometimes we start to think, well, hold on, I mean, God, couldn't you find anybody better? You know, and then you look at the New Testament, and Jesus is here, and he's got fishermen, you know, and he's got a tax collector, and he has a zealot, you know, and he's got all these people, and he's like, yeah, these are the guys. Like, well, don't you want someone a little more educated? Wouldn't you prefer somebody that has a little more pedigree? And Jesus is like, yeah, no, these are the guys. Send them. You know, let's send these guys out. And what's awesome is Jesus doesn't worry about if you're qualified because you're not. You're not qualified. But God will make you qualified if you say yes. If you'll just go on the mission, he'll give you what you need. It's okay to be afraid. You just got to say Yes. It's that step of faith to clarity. Psalms 103, verse 10, it says that God doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. Even when we're a mess, God's still perfect. Our mess is not a threat to his majesty. God is not insecure. God doesn't have anxiety. Did I make the right choice in calling this church? God says, I called this church. They can do it with my spirit, with my power, but they got to decide if they want to. Are they going to do this? And a lot of people think, well, hold on. I've, you know, I've heard that Christianity is exclusive. You, you know, you have to follow Jesus. It's, that's how it works. And so there are people on the outside, you know, and you say, well, is Christianity exclusive? And I have good news for you. It is because there's only one person that could do this, and it's Jesus Christ. You couldn't pay the bill yourself because the wages of sin are death, and it's also not. An early criticism of the church was that they would take anybody. (laughs) You know? People are looking around and like, don't you want some better representation? And God's like, no, I want these people. And if people are making the decisions, we start to think, well, hold on. We need to ally ourselves with somebody who's strong. Somebody has power, somebody who speaks well, somebody who can do this. And God says, no, I can do that. I just need you to come. I just need you to do it. God's not weak, so he can ally himself 
with the weak. It's not a problem for him. And so if you have a pulse and you want to be free, you can join the church. You can come to know Jesus. You can believe in him and ask him to clean you up. And so we see Isaiah responds, you know, and, and the Lord wants someone to go. It's his heart. And there's this anointing on the church. And what's cool for Isaiah is he's not waiting for somebody else to answer the call. He wants to be the answer to God's question. He wants this. And we see a lot of people doing a lot of things, and we do a lot of things for work, and we do a lot of things for family, and we do a lot of things. We'll travel around the world. We're willing to take high-stress jobs, and we're willing to do things that are difficult, and we're willing to, you know, try to make money or do all these different things. But when God asks us that question, he says, will you go for me? Sometimes that conviction's uncomfortable, right? And the wrong answer is for somebody to say, it's okay, you don't have to answer that. You do. Each of us has to answer that. God says, who's going to go for me? And if the church doesn't go, there is no hope. It's done. It's over. But God knows that, and he chose the church because he's going to empower us. So tonight... If you're here and you're considering this and you're watching that the Lord is responding to Isaiah in a way that's not rejection, but in a way that sees value in him and is drawing him out, and you want to know Jesus Christ, I want to know this God. I'm really, really messed up, and maybe nobody knows it, and I know it, and I'm naked before God, and he knows it, and I need some help, man. That's okay. The only way that you cannot get that help is to not ask. If you want to come to know Jesus Christ tonight, you want him to take control of your mess and sort it out and clean you and send you, and you want to be somebody who lives with hope, you can have that tonight. If you've been in the church for a long time and you know the rules, the regulations, how people are supposed to interact and all that different stuff, but you haven't felt a connection with the Lord, the presence of the Lord in a really long time, let me just tell you, God wants to refresh you. God wants you to have life that's abundant, that's overflowing. It doesn't mean you're not going to have issues. You will. You're going to have problems. But at least you have the strength of the Lord to lean on. If the worship team would go ahead and come on up here, I want to challenge you tonight that there's an altar and a throne in this vision. The throne is for God because he's in control. And the altar is for us because we need cleansing and we need help. And God's faithfulness is ferocious. God is not weak about how he's faithful. 
God is not weak about how he stands with the church. God is ferocious. In Jesus Christ, we're condemned to victory. The church wins. God wins. Amen? And so the goal is not to run in fear and not to partner with fear. The goal is to partner with the Spirit of Almighty God and to let the Lord propel us, take us forward into the next season. So at Calvary Aurora, for whatever lies in the future, let's embrace that with the Spirit of God. Right? There's no need to romanticize about the past. There's no need to stew on the ways that you're not perfect today. Embrace the Spirit of God and move forward. So if you're here tonight and you want to answer that call, I want to ask you to do something that might feel a little bit uncomfortable. And I don't want to embarrass you at all. I want to see you come to know Jesus. So if you're here tonight and you want to know the Lord or you've been a member of the church and you need the Lord to move fresh again, would you guys be willing to stand where you are? To just stand up? Where's the pastoral team? Is the pastoral team coming to pray? If you guys would come forward. Would you guys gather around? There's one in the back. Would you guys gather around the ones here? I want to touch from the Lord. And if you want to come into a relationship with Jesus and you're not sure how to do it, I want you to pray with me real quick. And the prayer is not necessarily what saves you. It's the commitment to following the Lord and letting him do this in your life that will save you. So just say, Jesus Christ, we love you. I believe that you're God. I believe that you died on a cross for my sins. And God, I believe that you have purpose for me. You have a life for me that's much better than anything. And I need you to clean me. Will you take my sin, Lord? Will you take the death that I've been storing in my life and will you just replace it with life? And if you pray that prayer, I want you to tell somebody before you go. You can approach one of these pastors up here, but I want you to tell someone because shame has power in secrecy. But when you make a confession and you receive freedom and you speak about it, it's gone. The power is broken. The stronghold's broken. And for those of you here that are just believers, you know, part of the church, you're just tired. You want to see the Lord move. You want to see the culture reach. You want to see God change you. We're not talking about other people right now. We're talking about you. I want to pray for you. And so, Lord, we ask that you would do what you said in Acts chapter 3, verse 19, and that when we repent about where we've been as a church, as believers, Lord, but we give it to you, that times of refreshing will come. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would anoint these believers, these parts of our family. And I pray that you would fill them, Lord, that you would stir them, that you would breathe on them, that you would breathe your life, Lord, that you would give them new eyes, that you would highlight people around them that need life. 
And I pray, Lord, that you would refresh them, that you would pour over them, and Spirit, that you would stir them. We pray, pray blessing on this church and on these family members. And we love you, Jesus, and we pray that it would be done in your name and the power of our King. Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.